No one can stop you from allowing all of your sin to be crucified and buried. Nothing is preventing you, and I'm saying this lightly and, and gently, from allowing all of your sin and sinfulness to be crucified on this cross and buried with Him. That's the invitation. All of it. Like that there would be nothing that you would have to try that you could actually just understand that when you were resurrected with Jesus, because it says we've been united with him, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When he came up out of that grave, how much sin was in him? And you've been united with him in that? So how much permission do we have from heaven and authority to live free from sin? You are listening to the Braveheart Podcast. Help us to turn up the volume and reach more people with this good news. Visit BraveheartMinistries.org forward slash give. If you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, get into the the lesson for today. Uh, Romans chapter 6, this is where um, I experienced sort of a 180 in my understanding uh, of the gospel particularly the part of the gospel that we all are familiar with, the death, burial, and resurrection. So um, one, one thing I want to highlight and why this is such good news and, and maybe why many of us have, have missed it, uh, again, why I grew up missing it, is because the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was presented to me as something that like a transaction between the Father and the Son. And it was presented like the Father and the Son have accomplished something, and, and if you believe that He did that, that He was who He says He is, that He did what He said He did, you will get forgiveness, sins, Oh, hell, praise God, and eternal life. And so subtly, I, it, it became very transactional, right? Like if you, do you understand when I say that? Like the father and son made a deal, and if we acknowledge that deal as good, then, then he gives us a blessing and some blessings. Now, these are very true, and again, I never want to minimize this. I'm not minimizing it. Um, I'm, I am simply highlighting the fact that if this is our only understanding, we are going to live a very uh, crippled Christian life. And I, and I don't use that word lightly. Like we will be crippled in our capacity to grow up into Christ because we will not have extracted all of the grace and life and power from, from what he did as our Messiah. Okay, you understand that? And I'm going to use Messiah here just so that we're consistent with our language. So Romans 6 is is Paul really giving us a different perspective on the cross and what took place at the cross, in the grave, and with Jesus' resurrection. Okay? And he gives us some, uh, some sort of benefits or fruits that, that, that are associated with this that make many of us uncomfortable. Okay? So we're going to read those together. Is that fair? Now, let's just, let's just go right into Romans chapter 6, verse 1. 
This is on the wake of Romans chapter 5, obviously. In uh, the last two verses of 5 say this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Say grace. grace. It abounded all the more. So the law, watch this, sin was going on at this level. Then when the law came in, the water level of sin began to rise, okay? But, but here's what he says. As sin increased, grace increased all the more. So he's, he's, he's keeping the power of grace over the power of the law and sin. Do you see that? He's making sure you understand that even as sin increased, there was a governing principle that was more powerful. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So a casual reading of that, you hear someone say, sin increased, grace increased all the more. And someone's like, if you're thinking in a natural mind, like many, many people have in the body of Christ, well, if... You're saying if I keep on sinning, grace is going to increase even more? So the, the natural question is, so you're saying I can keep on sinning? But that's the, that's the natural question, right? When you, when you accurately, so here's a point. When you accur accurately preach the grace of God through the gospel, people will naturally question you and say, so you're saying I can keep on sinning? The Apostle Paul is writing a letter outlining the gospel to the church, one of his most theological, systematic letters, and he literally gets to a point where the natural conclusion of man is, well, what, what's the conclusion? Should we keep on sinning? And so, the, the, but the, the question was asked because he clearly articulated grace. And the temptation for us in this generation, because people are misappropriating grace, they don't understand it, the, the temptation for us is to water down grace and to go, well, it's not, it's kind of grace, but it's not all grace, and, and, to, and to make sure that people don't misunderstand us that way. Because we get afraid, well, I don't want to be misunderstood. And Paul didn't want to be misunderstood either, which is why he wrote Romans chapter 6 shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know. Say we know. We know. We know. We know. We know. Do we know? Yes. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that. We know that. We're getting to know that. Help us know it, Lord. 
our old self was crucified with him. Why was it crucified? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Watch this. For one who has died has been, past tense, set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now we come in again, verse 11. So you also must consider or reckon, do the math. It's an accounting term. That word consider is an accounting term. Did you know that? It's, it's a word reckon that's literally like he says, do the math. Make a calculation based on what, what's taken place here. I want you to start making some calculations about your life. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, this is radical. Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What? To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Watch this. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. All right. This is a lot, but this is really, really important. Um, I, it's one thing for us to say, well, I've heard this before, I've read this before. The reality is, though, um, many, many of us and many people that are in the body of Christ are still bound in sin. So something's, something's not right. It's like my kids. I, I, I train them at the dinner table. We're really working on table manners. And so every night I tell them, use your inside voice. Don't get up off the table. We give them real practical instructions. And so last night they were acting a fool. And I'm like, we do this every night. How is this still happening? And I, and I told them, I said, look, I said, and, and the, there's, they're old enough now. Some of them are old enough now, my oldest two, to understand and to, you know, when they say things, they, they can obey. And I said, I'm hearing you tell me that you understand, but your actions prove to me that you don't understand, that you're not listening, right? And I feel like that's where we're at right now in the body of Christ. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, then, then we need to demonstrate. We are past the season of, of impressing people with revelation. Days are long gone. If that's your hope, you're done. Revelation is so widespread. You could, you, could, you could just get on your phone and you can get a Bible degree in, in one sense because of the amount of teaching and revelation that's phenomenal in your pocket. There's nothing you can't learn through YouTube or, I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost all out there. So revelation is not, is not it. Like you can parrot revelation. I did it for years. When I was younger. I, I'd listen to people and they had awesome revelation and I would go parrot it, but it wasn't my life. And so it didn't have weight, had no weight, had no, you couldn't see what I was saying in my life. I was just saying it. 
And then I was frustrated that people weren't listening to me and they weren't changing, but, but there was no reason for them to change because my words were hollow. They marveled at Jesus as one who had authority. Why? Because when he spoke, it was substance. It was real in his life. And so, so how do you know you believe this? You walk in the freedom that it promises. Free from sin. How? It's a perspective issue. Okay, so if he says here, we know, we know that our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin. Did you know that? Legitimately? Did you know that when he was crucified, your old man, which means everything that was, that was, uh, had a desire to sin was crucified here? Did you know that? Did you know that everything, all of this, the sin habits and sin patterns you've been wrestling with were pinned here? Did you know that? That's what he's saying. He says, we know that. We know that our old self was crucified. But I'm asking, did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that you were pinned here? Because if you go back up, see, this is where we've missed. He says, uh, he, he asked the question in two, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Wait, what? We died to sin? Died here. Biblically. So here's, here's my big like beef. Here's my big tension. Here's my big wrestle is we got people, we got people to pray a prayer and go to heaven, but we didn't actually get their old man, man pinned to the cross. And we, and we said that baptism was just a mere public was a mere public profession of my faith. Are you kidding me? I'm just going to tell people publicly I'm a Christian? No, he's actually saying if you were baptized into Christ, those waters were a physical representation of you being crucified, buried, and resurrected with Christ himself. You're saying, I am covenanting with Jesus to live a crucified life, a buried life, and a resurrected life. You're saying, I'm putting I'm putting off permission to actually live from my sinful nature anymore. I can no longer identify with sinful man. Why? I can't identify with prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I, I'm no longer allowed biblically by the cross to identify with, well, I'm just, I'm just broken. I'm just a sinner. You, you can't biblically, ident- and, and again, I know there's some nuance here, so we'll, we'll get to that. But do you guys, did you know that? Because he says we know, but I think we need to know, which is why it's important to, to get to the we know of six. Because if you don't know, then you can't prevent your, you can't, like, Paul was able to talk to the Christians because if you keep reading in Romans 6, he goes, I could, there was a, a, you've now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. Whoa. The standard of teaching to which you were committed, meaning he had laid a groundwork for this, this revelation. The early church knew they were, they were to identify in union with the cross, that, that his cross was their cross. So because of that now, if sin pops up in my life, only by faith in that reality can my spirit rise above my will. I can walk by the spirit and I can say, this thing that's wanting sin this, this desire of sin in my flesh, I can say, you get in the back seat where you belong. Why? 
because I'm, there you go. Why? Because now I walk by the Spirit. See, that's what happened here. I went from living by the flesh, bound by the flesh, to now I can live and walk by the Spirit, which is above my soul and my mind and my body. So now we've flipped, and now we have capacity to walk by the Spirit, which is now the authority. And where does that authority come from? From the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's giving us permission and helping us understand now you no longer have to walk by the flesh. That's why he can tell you, hey, if you see sin in your flesh, stop it. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to your soul? No, he's talking to your spirit. He's saying, I'm, I'm now, I'm, I'm helping you think differently. I'm talking to you as born again, spirit, righteous sons and daughters of God. And if you don't believe you're righteous, if you don't believe you've been born of the spirit, then now all of a sudden, none of it makes sense. Wow. Right? Because it, it doesn't make sense. How can you tell me to not, I, I used to read that. And I'm like, what? Don't let sin rain. Well, I'm letting it rain in my body. I'm letting it overcome me. And then I felt bad right? It, it's, in our, it's in our flesh. And if, Romans 7 will, will go on to say that because we still live in a body, right? He goes, but, but he's now, again, this is why understanding that sin started in our spirit and spread to our members. It took 900 years, right? To kill the members. And so righteousness now, it starts in your spirit like a little, like a little fetus of Christ-likeness, but it takes time by faith for that to work its way out into your soul and into your body. And when it's into your body, it's now you can actually walk righteously. You can actually do righteous things. Why? Because you started to live and walk by who you are on the inside. So all we're doing in this class is stop walking by what you feel in your soul and what feels true in your body, and I'm teaching you to walk by the Spirit according to what Christ has done. And when you do, when you do, praise God, not if you do, when you do, what happens is Christ is formed in you. He starts to take over your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, all of a sudden, you start doing things from the heart that the law was commanding you to do from without. So watch this. You said the chains, right? Let's keep reading because we'll just go there and we'll just mess you up all together. Look at verse 15. He says, are we, oh my goodness, 17. Thanks be to God, you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. This means your heart desires to obey God. How am I obedient from the heart? To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's why we're doing this. There is a standard based on who Jesus is and what he's done that calls us higher. And the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith, meaning you cannot walk righteously apart from faith, apart from the spirit walk. Okay? This is why it's so devastating when Christians say, well, uh, so have you ever seen someone walk free from sin? They, they get all mad and they're like, and what they're doing is they're saying their mind is so set on the flesh. They think freedom from sin looks like the flesh. Wow. It starts in the spirit. And then you let God be big and you let God manifest his freedom in your flesh. But it proves when they ask that, well, well, well have you stopped sinning? It proves that their mind is just obsessed with the flesh. And they're not walking by the spirit. It's living and walking by faith. There's an invitation for union, and in doing so, your soul will sit down. Yeah, sometimes you'll feel like, man, I feel like a sinner. 
I feel like a screw-up. But then all of a sudden you remember by faith that you were born again, that you're a son, not just a knight. And you think in that moment you have a warfare now. There's a tension going on. I can either draw close to God even though I screwed up, even though I did what I know I shouldn't do. I can either draw close and receive to the throne of grace, the authority of grace, and receive mercy and help in time of need. Or I can let sin deceive me and tell me, yeah, you know what? You are a screw-up. You should, you should back off from God. You should hide from God like Adam did. You should pull back and let the dust of his anger settle for a few days. You should get back in your Bible, read a little bit more, scrub yourself up, and then you can come back into his presence. No, no one can prevent you. Watch this. I, and I'm pointing you to the Bible here. This is not my teaching. No one can stop you from allowing all of your sin to be crucified and buried. Nothing is preventing you, and I'm saying this lightly and, and gently, from allowing all of your sin and sinfulness to be crucified on this cross and buried with him. That's the invitation. All of it. Like that there would be nothing that you would have to try that you could actually just understand that when you were resurrected with Jesus, because it says we've been united with him, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When he came up out of that grave, how much sin was in him? And you've been united with him in that? So how, how much permission do we have from heaven and authority to live free from sin? But it starts here. It starts, it starts in the spirit realm, transformed by the renewing of your mind. I wanted to show you this, and we'll, we'll unpack it more later. Um, I, he says this, uh, in having been set free from sin, again, past tense, he says, you've become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, again, members, that's your members, slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is so cool. Paul's like, hey, you guys are still thinking like slaves. I'm going to show you something right now. Okay. He says slaves to righteousness. Does he not? Okay. We didn't. Let me, let me connect these dots. It's going to fire real quick. So when you were a slave to sin, when you were a slave to sin previously, could you not sin if you wanted to? If sin was your, your taskmaster, could you be free? He says you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning you couldn't, go right, you couldn't walk righteously if you wanted to, right? You were in bondage. We understand that, right? You guys remember that? You understand slavery, meaning you can't go where you want to go. He says now through this, you have a different taskmaster. You are a different type of slave. You are a slave to righteousness. Which means you can't sin if you wanted to. You couldn't sin if you wanted to. He says, because now you have become a slave to righteousness, meaning you're going to sin, your members are going to sin, and in, in, in righteousness now is your taskmaster, right? And you're going to, to reach out sin in the chains of righteousness. He's like, Whoop. And you can't do the thing. Why? Because now you've been born again. There's chains on you called righteousness because you've made covenant with Jesus. And you go, man, you know what? I actually was going to go do that thing. But oh, yeah. And the spirit of God confines you to righteousness. See, we think sin is so powerful. And he's like, you've got no idea. 
You have no idea. We, we, we think slaves, and Paul is going, man, I have to give you a slave analogy because that's how you think. And it's even better than that. It's even better than that. I'm thinking like that. See, see how it clicked? Do you see how it clicked across the board? It's because we think like slaves. So as soon as I showed you that, you, that, that we're now slaves of righteousness, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Right? This, this, this should compel us to go, God, you can actually walk out the right, present your members to God as slaves of righteousness. But here's the key. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Meaning you've got to do the math. You've got to be willing for this to be true in your life, which means if you sin, say if, you have to remember this and not look at what you did. And listen, confess what you did. Confess it to God. Confess it to one another. If you sin against somebody, don't just be like, well, they should forgive me. I'm in the new covenant. No, that's arrogant and not right. <laughs> confess it. So we have to, we, you confess it, but it's, it's a considering. It's a renewing of your mind and really be willing to accept that his death was your death. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. For more resources, visit BraveheartMinistries.org.